Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego, California. Each week we provide spiritual leadership to our growing community, as well as bringing positive change into people's lives. If this message speaks to your heart, please consider helping to support our dedication by making a one-time or recurring donation now. Today we're going to be looking at the core foundational spiritual practice of not just self-awareness, but radical self-awareness. The term that Bob Brummett, the author of the book we're going to be exploring, uses radical self-awareness. And in order for us to only go as slow, or only go as fast as the slowest part of us feels safe to go, we have to practice radical self-awareness. Radical self-awareness. So this five-part series is devoted to exploring in part Bob Brummett's book, Living Originally, 10 Spiritual Practices That Will Transform Your Life. In the book, he shares five core spiritual practices that really are a foundation to living in a more solid, centered, peaceful, and purposeful way. And then there are five additional practices that he offers that we can pull out and use in very special circumstances in our lives. So our focus is going to be on the these five core spiritual practices. And you may wonder what they are. So I'm going to tell you now what they are, and we're going to look, just look at the first one today, which is radical self-awareness. But the other four are these. Deep self-acceptance, unlimited forgiveness, universal benevolence, and compassionate communication. So radical self-awareness, deep self-acceptance, unlimited forgiveness, universal benevolence, and compassionate communication. If you just think about those concepts, I think you'd have to agree that to the degree that we get well-practiced in these ideas, in these ways of being, our life is fundamentally going to work so much better. We're going to feel healthier, more open, more joy-filled, and I think we'll be much more on purpose with who and what we are called to be. Bob Brummett was actually, is, was a classmate of mine at Unity Ministerial School. We were both in the class that was ordained in 1980, and so our focus for our years in seminary was very much on the core principles of unity, and we still very much draw from those. But I'm taken by how his journey and my journey have paralleled in some ways that Bob is become very steeped in dharma and in, in Buddhist teachings and practices. He's trained in insight meditation. He's part of a co-founding unit of people that started a mid-America dharma community. And yet, like myself, still grounded in unity, but also exploring what I think are even a richer application of some of our teachings and concepts. And so as we look at these practices of, of radical self-awareness, of deep self-acceptance, of universal benevolence, and un, unlimited forgiveness and compassionate communication, we're going to be looking at not just what the practice is, but what some of the challenges are as we attempt to practice these things. In Buddhist teaching, there's the concept of the near enemy and the far enemy. 
Raise your hand if you've heard of these terms before. Some of you have, not very many. The near enemy and the far enemy. And so, for example, if you're looking at the idea of, of self-awareness, the far enemy would be whatever is the complete opposite of that thing. So the complete opposite of self-acceptance or, or radical awareness would be the far enemy. The near enemy is that which kind of looks from the outside like it's the thing, but it really isn't, and it's usually very focused in, in the ego and has a lot of striving or, or averting or avoiding to it. So we'll touch upon some of the perils that we encounter as we attempt to practice these core foundational identities, if you will. And I encourage you to pick up the book. Uh, we don't have it in the bookstore or in Partners Upstairs, but you can get it online and go deep into these teachings. I believe very much I value the time we spend together on Sunday. I spend considerable time putting together my messages for you. I know you make the time to be here physically or to tune in. And it's not just what we do when we're here. This is kind of like um, a chance to 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 learn, to be reminded, but it's then how do we take this and really work it into the fabric of our lives, into our relationships, into our opportunities, into those places where we feel afraid or challenged or, or concerned, right? That's when the teaching comes alive. Our founder, co-founder of Unity, Charles Fillmore, often talked about the importance of your life being the laboratory. It's where you experiment with these concepts and where you prove their efficacy in your life. So you might find it interesting that Bob titles the book Living Originally. What does that have to do with spiritual practice? And, and when you think of living originally, I bet you have a certain image in your mind of what that means. But I want us to start on the same page, starting point. So let me share with you what he means by this idea of living originally. The term living originally seems to make reference to a particular lifestyle that is different from that of most people. To most of us, the word original means unique, means unique. Let me introduce a different perspective, he writes, to the meaning of living originally. I will begin by quoting author Cynthia Bouget, she writes, quote, in the actual meaning of the word, however, being original doesn't mean trying to be different. It means being connected to the origin, being connected to the origin. You can't be original by trying to be original. You become original by staying true to what your heart sees, end of quote. Then Bob goes on to say, to live originally is to live consciously from the ever-present origin of life. It is to live from the very source of all that is. This ever-present origin is centered within each of us. We all live from that origin, but, but the vast majority of us are not conscious of it. Most of us live unconsciously. Most of us live unconsciously because we've become identified with a false sense of self. We live with a mistaken identity. 
So to live originally is to live with our true identity. The false self is a product of our conditioning. It's a manufactured sense of self. It is unoriginal. So to begin the process then, the starting point is the starting point of self-awareness. And not just self-awareness, but radical self-awareness. So what is self-awareness? In its simplest, self-awareness is the recognition that I am a separate self, that I am not you. I am this thing called me, and I'm aware that I'm not you. I'm aware that I am this thing that is separate from you. A more radical self-awareness is not just that I'm aware that I'm not you and I'm me, but I'm also aware of the internal me, and then taking it even a little bit deeper than that, I'm aware that I am not you, I'm aware of an internal me, and I'm aware that I'm aware of the internal me. Are you still with me? That's radical self-awareness. So take, for example, looking at yourself in the mirror. You recognize that it's you, right? Now you may go, how did I get there? I remember me 20 years ago. But Right? And right there, when we do something like that, right there, we've got a mental image or a mental judgment of what we're seeing reflected back to us. And we may have an emotional reaction to what we see reflecting back to us. I'm aware of all of it, and I'm aware of my reaction. I'm aware of how it lives inside of me. Now, this seems obvious, right? But what isn't so obvious is there is a continuum of awareness. We, when we are born, we are not aware of ourselves as a being separate from another being. An infant doesn't realize it's not its mother. It is not until that infant is about seven months to a year, somewhere in there, that at that point, a sense of separation, a sense of, I am not you, begins to emerge. But then as we grow, so much more begins to open up and so much more begins to change. And we begin to have thoughts and feelings and stories. We'll really get into that in subsequent lessons. As we interact with this separate sense of, I am not you, and I am not you. And so radical self-awareness is the awareness of all of this going on, of all of this going on, so that we can begin to work with it. We can begin to see it. We can begin to understand it. Our goal is, I think it's unrealistic to expect that we're going to be radically self-aware every single moment of our waking existence, but we can set the intention to be self-aware in important conversations, to be self-aware as we engage in important activities, to notice and be aware not only of what is happening around us that is physically separate from us, but to be very aware of what is going on inside of us. Because if we are not aware, we cannot begin to change it. I do a lot of my studying now 
instead of just reading a book, I'm a subscriber to Audible, as I imagine many of you are. And so many of my books I'm listening to as I'm out for a morning walk or so forth. And the one that I'm listening to now, because Audible told me I had too many credits and I needed to start looking for some books again, I realized, boy, I must be behind here, was um, one of Brene Brown's newest books, Atlas of the Heart. If you have enjoyed Brene Brown's books and Gifts of Imperfection, I did a series on her book on that, Dare Greatly, great author, great researcher. This is one of her newest books, Atlas of the Heart. And what's intrigued me about this this body of work of hers and where it fits with this idea of radical self-awareness is that she writes about and has researched the emotions and feelings that we as human beings have. And she gets into very specific detail of all the nuances of emotion and feeling. I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was alarmingly high. In their research and in their study, they had um, researched and asked people to name as many emotions and feelings that they could. And would you believe that the highest percentage, a very high percentage, of respondents could only name three feelings, mad, sad, and glad. Where that becomes problematic is in many places of our life. Because if we can't name what's going on internally, then we can't really begin to understand how to heal it or what it's signaling for us. And where it comes into play, I think, she doesn't go into this, but where it comes into play with this idea of radical self-awareness is if we don't have a robust vocabulary for our internal world of feeling, then it becomes very difficult for us to communicate to another what it is we might need or what it is we are really struggling with or celebrating. And it becomes very difficult for us to know how to move forward. We can feel very, very stuck or very unsatisfied. And so this idea of radical self-awareness is to bring very much into our experience an ability to name and understand what it is that is going on inside. Let me read something to you from the book. Bob writes, we seem to exist in two parallel worlds. See if this describes you. Two parallel worlds. One that appears external to our sense of self, and then the internal world of thoughts, feelings, and desires, which feels much closer to my sense of me. He writes, but there is another sense of me that we can, there is another sense of me that can be aware of both. With this self-observation, we begin to see our subjective world of thoughts and emotions is largely interpretive. Take that in for a moment. Our subjective world of thoughts and emotions is largely interpretive. This is where we get that concept of the stories we tell, the meaning-making we make of conversations or events or things that have happened to us. I forget the television show goes back decades. I think it was a detective show. And there was a line in it, the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Can anybody remind me, what was it? Dragnet, Dragnet the facts, ma'am, just the facts. 
It's the idea that we are experiencing our life, right? We experience our life separate from somebody else's life. And it's like there's a commentator that is describing factually what is going on. Think of like a football game. A commentator describing play by play what is going on. That's kind of like the facts, ma'am, just the facts, right? Play by play description of what's going on. And then you have another commentator who is analyzing each of the plays. What went well, what didn't go well, maybe even telling a story about the player, bringing up something from the past about the player, right? Two different approaches, right? Both of those commentators live inside of us. And radical self-awareness is being mindful of that reality. That we've got that in us that's the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And then we've got that in us that is giving meaning to it. Not that that's necessarily bad, but we've got to know that there's a difference between the meaning we're assigning to something and just the play-by-play of what is happening. Bob writes, radical self-awareness means being aware of the primary experiences of seeing, hearing, feeling, and thinking. And it means being aware of the meaning I give to these experiences. It means being aware of the emotional response that arises from my ascribed meanings, as well as seeing all of this without judgment or analysis. It's a lot right there, isn't it? It's a lot right there. And so how do we begin to, or continue, because I believe that many of you in this room and on our broadcast understand the concept of self-awareness? How do, how do we take it maybe a little bit further? And I think that some of the things we can do is to recognize, and Bob writes about this, to recognize the link between body awareness and the practice of self-awareness and mental awareness and the practice of self-awareness. Many of us seem to be so disconnected from our bodies. We live from here to here, right? And the only time we're really aware of our body is when, you tell me, when it hurts, when it's screaming for our attention, right? Right? When there's an unmet need. Part of self-awareness is being aware of all of us, all aspects of ourselves. And so practicing body awareness is paying attention to your body. It's if I were to say to you right now, just close your eyes for a brief minute and just bring your attention fully to your body. Try to bring it out of your head, just fully to your body. And notice what it is that you might be noticing. You might be noticing the weight of your clothing on your body. You might be noticing how the chair feels to you. You might be noticing temperature. You might be noticing the rhythm and the beat of your heart. You might be noticing some discomfort. Go ahead and open your eyes again. It's actually practicing something as simple as that because when something is going on in our life, we will have a reaction to it. And that reaction is going to have a counterpart in our body. And sometimes 
sometimes the body tells, maybe most of the time, a greater truth than the mind. The constriction of the body, the rapid heartbeat, our body awareness is telling us something. But if we are disconnected from it because we've not practiced any sense of awareness of it, we deprive ourselves of whatever information, if you will, the body is trying to communicate to us. I think those of us in New Thought are probably much more practiced around the idea of observing the mind as central to self-awareness, observing the thoughts, observing the stories that we are telling, beginning to tease apart the difference between the actual facts of what is happening or happened and our overlay of story or meaning or interpretation of it. But it is actually practicing both of those things, equally practicing both of those. He goes on to suggest that for each of these practices that we'll be looking at over these five weeks, from radical self-awareness to self-acceptance and forgiveness and benevolence and communication, that there we should devote two kinds of focus to our practice. We should have a practice that can be woven into the general living of our lives, and then a formal practice. And let me describe briefly what those two are. So practicing radical self-awareness in the general flow of our life might look like picking a routine thing you do and very deliberately choosing to bring as much awareness to your body and to yourself in that activity as you are doing that. I think there are a whole, for example, there's a lot that supports today the psychology around healthy eating habits. That those who often overeat, for example, are overeating because they are disconnected from what their body is really needing and they're not actually practicing awareness of what's happening as they're in the act of eating. Whatever the routine activity is, it could be brushing your teeth, it could be when you are cleaning your house, it could be every time you come to a stoplight that you are very deliberately bringing your attention right into the very present moment and paying attention to what you are seeing, what thoughts are going on in your mind, and what you are feeling. And then in a formal practice, and you know it's coming, it's our meditation time. And it's sitting in a formal practice to be aware of the body. The easiest, I think, is to be aware of the breath, to really be focused and paying attention and being with that breath as it goes out, being with that breath as it comes in. I like that he suggests in each of these practices looking at how to incorporate it in the nitty-gritty of our life, as well as how to incorporate it in a more formal, focused time. That both of those are really very, very important. As I wrap this lesson up, one of the other things that is brought forth in the book that I think is very helpful is he writes about some of the issues that we have that go on in our heads as we try to practice new ways of being. Do you ever have this happen? Your conscious mind wants to tell you all the reasons it won't work. You know, all the exceptions to it. Like when we get to unlimited forgiveness, that, that crazy mind is going to go just 
in circles with all the reasons we shouldn't and justify and so forth. So in each of these practices, if you follow along the book, you'll be able to, to um, get in touch with some of the common objections or questions that people have. So I want to just share two of them with you and we'll end with this. So two co great comments from this idea of, well, how do you really do radical self-awareness? So here was a comment that he received. Living in the present moment is fine, but there are times when I do have to make plans for the future. Any part of your mind ever gone there when somebody says, you know, live in the present? I like the way he answers this. The awareness practice is not dependent upon what you are doing or feeling or thinking. The awareness practice isn't dependent upon what you're doing, feeling, or thinking. It is simply being fully aware of your present moment experience, whatever that is. If you are thinking about the past or the future, you can be aware in the present moment that you are thinking about the past or the future. The thinking itself is taking place in the present moment, no matter what it is you are thinking about. So again, it comes to that nuanced thing of being able to name it. Recognize it and name it. And then a second that I'll share with you. But I have to live in the world. This requires giving meaning to what I see and to what I hear, right? This is powerful, right? There is nothing at all wrong with interpreting your experiences and giving them some meaning. In fact, you cannot do otherwise because interpretation occurs automatically. Ah, that's a relief, right? It occurs automatically. The important question is, am I aware that I am giving this meaning to the experience I am having? The interpretation happens automatically. The important question, am I aware, am I aware that I am giving this meaning to the experience I'm having? If I, am, if I know I am giving my experience a particular meaning, I can decide if the interpretation is accurate or helpful. If it isn't, then I can change it. If I don't know I'm assigning this meaning to an experience, then I will believe my ascribed meaning is part of objective reality. Then I have no choice or freedom to change my interpretation. I will simply believe, well, that's the, that's the way it is. So I hope that you're able to take an idea or two of this concept of radical self-awareness and look at where and how you can best begin to take it to the next level in your life. It is foundational, I agree with, with Robert, it's foundational to creating a more meaningful, purposeful life and to being able to live originally. Namaste.